Welcome to the Bandit Radio Hour. Uh, we're sitting here tonight. This is a back porch special. Me and producer Merce. Uh, we got the coffee going. We got the cigarette about to be lit. And we're rolling. So what I'm going to get into tonight, we're going to start it off with some current events. And uh, the one that seems to be breaking everybody's radar, which is like new news and old news, is the whole uh, Hunter Biden tapes, which, I mean, what... On face value, I'm not going to say the same thing that's obvious that everybody else seems to be saying. Yes, there's like horrible, there's horrible stuff on there, at least as far as like how you could personally judge somebody. Uh, and I mean, if we could personally judge everybody we want. But one of the things I want to jump into is one of the biggest disparities I see and why a lot of people like freak out about uh race and culture and a lot of things like that, which uh, there might be some stuff to freak out over on that case. The biggest thing is the class difference. And I'm not trying to go like full, uh, I'm not trying to go full like social status uh, communist on you, but just like if you talk about the difference in how somebody smoking crack is treated, I mean, hypothetically, Dave Chappelle made a whole comedy special out of it. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. But, I mean, like, not even a poor black guy. He could be a poor redneck in, like, uh, southwestern Florida in a trailer park. You're caught smoking crack by the law or meth or anything. When you sit down in front of a prosecutor, what, like, they always offer is, like, look, if you fight this, even if they did something wrong to catch you, it's 30 years of your life in a prison with murderers and robbers that are probably going to try to rape you. Like, oh, horrible. If you're the president's son, or not even, you know, it's not even just the president's son. It's really anybody with power son, from a senator to a representative to, I bet you, a lot of different state legislators to just anybody that can turn the tide. They get away with it scot-free. And literally, not, not only do they get away with it, they're allowed to advance their career in things they have no expertise in, like getting on a, what what was he on the board of, Merce, like some mineral company in Ukraine? Um, uh, yeah, no, uh, uh, nuclear yeah, weapons. Yeah, yeah, nuclear, yeah, it was energy, it was an energy uh, department that they, and like the guy doesn't speak Ukrainian, has no knowledge of nuclear uh Workings or, or systems. And he's on the record saying he smoked so much, like, specks off the ground he thought it was crazy. Yeah. And, and, I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm really... And 10% and, to the big guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, uh, but holy crap, what a... What, like, it, I'm sure if you looked up and, like, hey, the, the, the lefties might have a point where they're like, hey... Look at, like, racial disparities and the arrest records. Like, you know, well, one of the things I've heard, which has, has some truth to it, now people might argue over the reasons why, is, uh, you know, higher percentage of black people are incarcerated versus white people. And it's like, yeah, and the population difference and all that. It's like, yeah, given. All right, now look up politicians' kids versus everybody else. I bet you it is even, like, more, like, a hundred times more dramatic than that. Oh, uh, hell, CCR says it. They're, they're no senator, son. If you ain't that, you get on the front lines of the meat grinder and you go to the pen to do slave labor. 
Uh, you and I have been pulled over. Yeah. <laughs> I've been in a pod, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I uh, uh, might have told the judge I was joining the Navy and chicken out of that last minute, which God bless him if he ever listens to this. However, didn't have to serve that sentence. Uh, yeah, that's, I think that's a real fundamental difference that no, that uh, nobody hits on. Yeah, he's a dumb crackhead. And yeah, we all know, we don't all know hundreds, but we see tons of these druggies on the streets and these wretches uh and if they're good people that got tore up my heart goes out to them if they're just bad people then they're bad state i don't care but you never see anybody touch on just quite literally it's i mean i'm sure money has a big part to do with it but it's just corruption it's corruption on and it's democrats and republicans alike it's, uh, I, I mean, what was it when we were growing up, Merce, when it was all the don't get married, uh, don't, don't let gays get married or whatever, then you'd find out like half the Republicans or not half of them, but like the Republicans are voting for that or actually doing that stuff in bathrooms and airports. So it's, yeah, believe me, just if, if you're thinking of the politician you like, I guarantee you they are connected to something like Hunter Biden. It just doesn't come out in the media. So that brings us to our quote of the day that uh, comes from a Mr. William Colby. You might not recognize the name unless you're a boomer and you really paid attention back in the day. He's the former director of something called the Central Intelligence Agency or the CIA. And his quote, to be precise, is that, quote, the CIA owns everyone of any significance in the major media, unquote. Uh, so just keep that in your mind. They live, And, you know, and I don't, I, I really want to dispel something. I, I really, like, don't believe in Illuminati. I don't believe in any, like, the real far-fetched stuff. I don't, a large portion of me believes that there isn't some group sitting around with Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC heads going, this is what you're going to report today, and this isn't what you're going to report. No, it's actually Noam Chomsky did a really good job of explaining this. Uh, I read it a long, long time ago, not the whole book, but just like this chunk that kind of explained it. And he's a lefty, but he nailed it. And he said, how they managed to do this is just the system itself incentivizes more people, the people that move up have a narrower view of focus on how things are reported. They are used to certain things being reported a certain way. And as long as they can parrot that same strategy, they're the ones that naturally move up. And it creates this echo chamber of, well, I mean, hell, if you live anywhere besides the bluest of cities, you can tell how disconnected they are when you watch CNN or MSNBC. And I'm sure on the other hand, if you're in the bluest of places, how they seem on Fox and all, it's, it's just. So how do you take Pisaki? Well, so with Pisaki, okay, it's a revolving door. And I'm going to get to that in a second, but I've got to make a side note. All of these uh, speakers of the White House, I'll tell you that like in some sense, they might be my mortal enemy as far as like pushing the government propaganda down on me that, that I'm trying very hard to resist. But there's a part of me that feels so unbelievably bad for these people. Like, their job, and it's like her I feel the worst for, but every president, they've had to take 
the atrocious dumb fumblings of the federal government and do their best to spin it into something coherent and believable that they pray to God 51% of Americans will at least like the sound of. And I mean, you got the... And don't get me wrong, they get the media to help them out and throw them softballs uh, all the time. Unless they're against the grain like Trump, and we all saw how that went as far as the media not wanting to play ball with somebody. But with Pisaki leaving and going to them, jumping off the flaming ship of the Biden administration and uh, going to the New York Times, that's just the revolving door of the federal government. And... The hippies back in the day used to talk about the military-industrial complex and how uh, you'd have some big chief at the Pentagon that as soon as he retires, he goes and works for Halliburton. And as soon as one of the big execs at Halliburton retires, he goes and gets some job as a lobbyist for uh, the Pentagon, which they're absolutely right. That's how it's been happening for a very long time. Very long time. Uh, but what a lot of the hippies don't realize... and. Uh, Maybe they did, but it's just not as widespread knowledge as that's every single damn industry. That's not just military. That's uh, There's the medicinal industrial complex where the heads of, uh, even before 2020, like literally you can, you can look up their career records. You'll see the head of Pfizer and the head of uh, Johnson & Johnson go to work at the FDA or go to work at the firm that lobbies for the FDA. And you'll see the execs of the FDA leave there and go work at Johnson & Johnson with salaries that are quadruple what they used to make. And uh, you just, you can't sit here and tell me that. Uh, one, of the, one of the feedbacks I've heard against that is actually like, well, if you're going to have somebody regulating an industry, you need them to have some expertise in it so they just don't make some wild hair decisions that affect an entire industry. So, yes, all right, point, maybe. But I see it a lot more that they're probably going to get regulations around for their companies that apply just as much to every other company. And that's, you name the industry, that's it. It's We just talked about medicinal and military the agricultural industry, you don't think there's people lobbying the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, to make regulations more lax for their company and worse for everybody else? Ask, oh, it goes two ways. Yeah. Like, a- ask any farmer if the regulations are getting easier and easier to deal with or if they're getting harder and harder unless you got four secretaries that can sift through all the bullshit. Trying to make everybody fit into the same box is impossible like just even even in a even in a family trying to make everybody i mean think about if anybody out there are brothers and sisters how different are you from them can y'all i mean sure y'all have similarities but i'm sure the differences are glaring uh now what's the population of florida what like 10 million (laughs) yeah point point given but there's no way i've seen it firsthand trying to put every trying to make people in north Western Panhandle, Florida, farm the same as they do in Southern Muck, Florida. Uh, it's insanity. It's pure insane. Now apply that to roads. Apply that to, to fabrication of materials, to housing. It's just a revolving door. Uh, and there's people that are becoming, and, and this is the part of me that really sympathizes with the real lefties. There are people in this Quasi, it's like there's such a weird mix between capitalism and socialism. It's the worst parts of both 
mixed together. Where you have these people that are making more money than you and I could ever imagine making that contribute nothing to society. They contribute like nothing but despair and death if they're in certain industries. And others, just higher costs for everybody else. Uh, so the part there, that's the part of me that really sympathizes with bleeding heart lefties. However, their solutions, just god-awful. Don't follow them. Listen to their problems they're addressing. Just don't follow the solutions. They tend to be just bad. Uh, but whereas socialists are good, or lefties are good at identifying problems that have horrible solutions... A lot of righties and capitalists, it's really hard to see the problems. But the solutions are great. And one of the big ones that I think is erupting is something called a parallel economy, which is something I'm really excited about. And uh, for all the people that are not enjoying uh, the woke cult, uh, I'm right there with you. I mean, it's not... It's just that it's such a... Marriott commercial of gayness. Like it's the, when we were little, if if somebody was gay, it was something to the extent of the village people dancing in the street. Like it was like, whoa, that's different. But now it's every Moderna commercial you see is just this crap and it's just spreading. And <clears throat> but so I guess uh recently it's it's been all over my news feeds. I'm sure y'all have seen about Harry's Razors uh, withdrawing their advertising from the Daily Wire. Uh, and their thing was, I guess, because of this uh, bill in Florida that Daily Wire was having a, an honest Daily Wire view on, that it was a good family-friendly bill that didn't have people talking to third graders about gay sex, which I, I I don't like government doing a lot of stuff, but that's one of the things I'm pretty okay with. Uh, me personally, you can disagree all you want. Uh, but they withdrew their funding. And so the Daily Wire launched a its own small economy in parallel with it called Jeremy's Razors. And it's supposed to be like the, if you don't want to give your money to a woke company, you can give it to this other company. Now, Whereas you can either with, with Harry's give your money to a woke company or with Jeremy's you can give your money to a company that's not woke. And that's great. However, on the other hand, when it comes to the Daily Wire and people like Ben Shapiro and uh, all of them, they have a lot of points I agree with them a lot on. But good God, is there not a war they have ever heard of that sounds like a bad idea to them? Every, every single conflict I can remember in my life, if, and who knows, maybe not everybody at the Daily Wire is like this. I'm just thinking of their biggest cheerleader, Ben Shapiro, that I've listened to quite a bit. Uh, if, if, uh, whether it's anything from Syria to Afghanistan to currently in Ukraine... Uh, if he has a sentiment, it mostly goes something along the lines of, well, the United States just needs to impose its force and its strength and military will, and it can bring peace to the rest of this nation. And, and that, that's what we, because we're America. We take care of things. So we need to go over there. We need to take care of things right now. Although taking care of things normally ends up with mountains of dead bodies and innocent civilians killed and us spending more money than we'd ever need and uh, a lot more U.S. soldiers coming home and taking it out on their families or committing suicide. So um, 
So it, for right now in this parallel economy, you got your choice between the woke people that are trying to say it's okay to talk to three-year-olds about gay sex, or you got warmongers <laughs> uh, that at least aren't about the first stuff. But my hopes is here soon, you're going to start seeing different companies spring up left and right that all have their own views and literally you can buy your politics. <laughs> you can, if, if you want nothing but organic crap, you can order your organically metal sheared razors. Uh, you know, if you want your, you want to buy your popcorn from someone that grows it with uh, 2,4-D and everything, every other chemical under the sun, but it only costs 10 cents a bag. Like, yeah, knock yourself out. We can just all pick for ourselves instead of having one giant mandating government force pick all of it for us. Uh, one of my one of my favorite little examples of uh, parallel economies versus government influence. I think it was Michael Malice that pointed this out. If we left it to democracy to pick our soda. Let's say we all had to vote tomorrow on what we liked better, Coke or Pepsi. Whichever one got 51%, that's what the rest of us would have to live with. It's like literally, if just more people happen to like Coke and we all voted Coke. Well, there was actual it, cocaine in it. So. Well, I mean, if it, we're not talking about the good Coke. We're talking about current non-fun Coke. Uh, you know, if everybody... Voted that way, the next day there's Pepsi's outlawed. Nobody that gets that enjoys Pepsi gets to drink it unless they want to go to the same place that murderers and rapists and thieves go. Uh, and we all have to settle for Coke. But given this current free market environment, at least with sodas for the most part, by God, you can go to the store and you buy your damn Coke. I can go to the store, buy my damn Pepsi, and we can go our separate ways and be happy with it with each other. No one has to control the other. But now it's like taking it to the next level by what a company represents politically. And out of that, like I could see bad sides to that. I could see, but you know, maybe it's better to buy your politic than force it on other people. Uh, but hey, talking about forcing politics on other people, we're going to get into something this episode. We talked a little bit about it in the first episode, but uh, we're going to start doing some deeper dives. Uh, into U.S. foreign policy, and specifically, like, what we were told at the time that led to this foreign policy affair, and the stuff we learn afterwards, which is, like, always two different things. But, uh, so the last time I talked a little bit about this thing that happened in Yugoslavia with NATO and all that, so I'm gonna get into the bare bones of that. Um, first, Let's start off with some basics. Just what the hell is NATO? Now, you've probably heard that thrown around a lot. You might know the acronym, might know a little bit of the idea of it, but I'm just going to be precise about its nature, at least as far as the Wikipedia sources could bring me to. Uh, so NATO was formed in uh, 1949. It was basically a treaty between France, uh, Britain, and a couple of others that just got extended to the U.S. and Canada. Uh, it started out with 12 members when it was made by into NATO, uh, and it was made to, as a deterrent against Soviet or possibly even German aggression after World War II before we really had that nipped in the bag. Um, started off as 12 member states, now it's up to 30, and they all have the promise to each other that if you're in this group and you're attacked by an outside force, 
all of these other countries will treat it as if it's an attack on them. So, for example, the United States and Belgium are in this. Uh, if Belgium gets attacked by Russia, we in the United States have to treat it just like they attacked Russia attacked Florida. We have to return due force. Uh, it's called a system of collective security. Uh, they agree to a system of mutual defense. And, uh, yeah, that was the gist of it. You know, nice little organization to help each other out. So what we got here is this collective uh, mutual defense treaty. And its made, main purpose is to combat the aggressive USSR, Soviet Union. However, in the 90s, when the Soviet Union falls, it decides to stick around. And everybody from uh, Pat Buchanan on the right to Neil Chomsky on the left uh, is saying, like, this is a terrible idea. Because this organization you have that takes up all this military spending that's looking to use it, uh, it doesn't have a bad guy anymore. And now it's going to go looking for new bad guys. And, well, whereas they assured that would never happen, Come just a couple of years later, and I mentioned this in the last episode, but I did a lot more digging into it, and uh, there's a lot more nightmare fuel. Kosovo. It's a partially recognized state in uh, southeastern Europe. Think like a, most Americans kind of have a general idea of what Europe looks like. Think about like where Italy, that boot is, and then think about like kind of how Greece gets closer to the Middle East. This is kind of a little bit north of that, like in that area. Uh, and... What had happened was there's this group called the KLA, the, the Kosovo Liberation Army. Uh, it was practically, essentially was a terrorist organization. They were pretty bad. They were doing stuff uh, left, and, left and right, making attacks on institutions they disagreed with. Uh, Clinton and his administration, along with the media, claimed that there was ethnic cleansing going on. That as much in the number that was repeated over and over again was over a hundred thousand people had been like genocided against, which yeah is like horrible. Uh, so what they wanted to do about it was get a UN resolution to go down there for a uh, safekeep or uh, not peacekeeping operation, get get a UN sanctions on it. They ended up not doing. The UN turned them down due to a veto from Russia and China. So instead of doing that, uh, they told the United Nations to hold my beer, and they're going to go on a peacekeeping mission. It's one of those great like government words that doesn't mean what it's supposed to. Uh, so they go on a peacekeeping mission down to Kosovo, uh, especially whenever they proposed a, uh, a plan well, to the KLA leaders to make peace before they sent in the troops. They said, hey, a nice negotiating factor to this would be to let... 30,000 NATO troops occupy and police your territory. Uh, that's going to be like, you know, us calling a good middle ground. Now, just to put the shoe on the other foot, how would, how would most people where they live like it if a, troops composed of China and Russia were sent to replace your local police force? So, like, naturally, these Kosovoian Liberation armies, like, hell no, we're not doing this. Uh, so, thus commence uh, the bombing campaigns. And, God, they NATO attacks pretty much uh, a lot of the cities, a lot of the trains. Uh, it's U.S.-led NATO. They had everything from passenger trains to hospitals. They even hit the Chinese embassy. Uh, 
when it comes to civilians killed, the conservative estimates are five or four hundred eighty nine to be exact. The KLA's numbers are up to two thousand. Uh, so you know, one's high, one's low. Uh, so there was like so like definitely this terrorist organization was responsible for attacks. And this war lasted for uh, like all, this. It wasn't a war. It was a, a police uh, policing operation into the area. Uh, you know, I was talking about earlier what's reported then versus what we find out or after. There, we did find mass graves afterwards, uh, but the biggest one we found was of a thousand corpses, and they were all of fighting age men. And, like, the way the 100,000 number was sold to everybody was, like, women, children, like, everybody, they're being non-discriminate. And the graves we find afterwards tend to allude to, like, oh, it looks like there was a big battle here between two armies, and they dumped all the dead people in a pit. Which is bad, but it's it's not what the media was claiming. Uh, it's pitiful. Yeah. They end up bombing the, the capital city of uh, Belgrave. Uh, and a lot of Serbia along with it, which is one of the neighboring countries that the KLA had occupied bits and parts of. Uh, you got to realize, like, uh, a lot of what we're picturing is just bombs going off and that's it. But up until the article I was reading uh, was, I, this happened in the mid-90s, and this was all the way up to, like, 2012. They're still finding cluster bombs that didn't go off. They're still... Uh, in some war zones, they're finding people wearing pieces of scrap iron from the war that actually has like a tank shell that has depleted uranium in it. You're not allowed uh, in the Ardennes forests anymore. Yeah, for, for, from just like left, like this is, uh, it, it's awful stuff that's left behind. Uh, and yet, Time Magazine, and like you know how much the media loves to brag about when we're bombing, you can Google this. Google uh, Time, T-I-M-E, like the magazine, quote, bringing the Serbs to heel. That was their headline. And the front cover is just this massive bomb blowing up in the middle of a city. And they're like bragging on it like, hey, look how our bombs are making these terrorists like stop terrorizing. And uh, the one thing I want to focus on this series is uh, like my little history breaks Tell me if you ever notice a pattern of us, of our media, not us, because it's not me doing this, and it's not probably you listening. It's the people in power in the media saying what is happening over there and why we have to go in and do these things. What the information comes out afterwards and how none of it matches up. And the worst of all of it is, you know, in the private industry, it, at least a lot of the time, if I was to try to accomplish something and wasted tons of money, uh, didn't even, it got people killed accidentally and ended up not even accomplishing the goal. Well, they did accomplish the goal, I guess. They got the right people in power that they wanted and Bill Clinton actually showed up uh, in 2011 to hand out uh they didn't call them medals of honor, but it's like the citizenry version of it. And put them around like all the new heads of state that happened to go along with NATO so NATO would stop bombing them. And, uh, yeah, and you read about that region to Tate, and it's hardly anything good on, on that front.
So something else that really, it, it, it's not that it bugs me. It's a really good question, but I, I found a really, really good answer to it. So this, I, I've reading through one of the good old fashioned Twitter debates that I'm sure is healthy for my mental health and my stress. Uh, but a guy was bringing up how, uh, here, I'll actually quote him because I brought it up. Uh, he, when it comes to as far as like, how could you structure a society outside of government regulating everything? Uh, at least some things that people would say that definitely needs to regulate. And he brought up some like really good points. Uh, his question was, wouldn't overfishing affect everyone in the ecosystem? That's why we need government regulations to put limit on things like trees cut, animals hunted, fishes caught, etc. There's no other way around it, and many anarchists even slightly agree with that. Um, like, let's say the government regulations that you can only hit, catch 10 crabs a month. How would that work otherwise? Should people have the freedom to catch how many crabs they went, want until extinction, or there should be limits? Now, here's the thing to that. First, it's like the practical answer and the ethical answer. I'll tell you the ethical answer is it's my property and no one gets to tell me what to do on my property if it ain't affecting anybody else. Like, that, that's thing number one. Like, the, the fact we... The fact... I grow... I, I live in a rural area where a lot of people hunt. And I'm not even a big hunter, but this is something that like really drives me bonkers. The fact that we have to pay the state for permission to hunt animals on our own land. Beer prices through the roof. With, yeah, yeah. Like, and I can't shoot a deer. With, with the, means, the, the means of production so centralized like they are, what I mean is like if you're going to sell commercial beef, commercial pigs, commercial poultry or anything, you got to go through the USDA. And it's got to be through all the system, through the system. Hunting is a way you can kind of Avert the system, tax-free, I mean, ideally, tax-free, like, sustenance for you and your family, and you don't, you know, don't have to pay into the system. Uh, but, like, e ethically, if legally, if, well, my bad, not ethically, but legally, if I want to go be able to harvest food for my family on my family's property or my property, I have to get a permission slip from the state in the form of a license and I have to pay them a tribute every year. Uh, no. <laughs> like, that's that's half the reason I really don't hunt a lot anymore. And you don't, you're shit. Yeah, and you don't, and you're caught, like, you're treated the same under the law as, I mean, you're not charged to the same degree, but you're just as guilty as someone murdering or robbing somebody. You're, you know, if you don't pay the fine, you're going to be thrown in the same prison with those kind of people. Uh, but also, okay, so you can, like, take the ethics aside and be like, all right, practically, aren't we, like, going to sit here and, like, hunt ourselves out of everything? Which, like, to steel man, because I like steel manning my, my opponent's argument. I hate straw mans. If you, if you don't know what that is, it's like uh, you make up a weak opponent, uh, a very weak point for your opponent to easily argue down. I really like steel manning my opponent. I like giving them, like, real strong things I got to get around. And... Believe it or not, there actually was a whitetail shortage in the United States. When a guy told me this like a year ago, I was like, bull crap. I'm a re there, there's never been such a thing as a shortage of whitetails. I'm going to look this up for you if you're wrong. They were decimated for a while. They were here too. Yeah. Like, uh, the, the ticks, that's why they used to have the dip bats. Yep. Whatever the, it was. 
there was ticks and also, <clears throat> well, it was unregulated hunting on public land. So the thing was, it's something called the tragedy of the commons. If everybody kind of owns it, everybody's going to take advantage of it as much as they can if they ain't got to put anything into it. But here's what privatizing it does. Here's what makes it where the trick is putting your stake in it. So like a great example of something we overeat and something we overconsume, but we will never have a shortage of is poultry, pork, and beef. <laughs> I mean, we consume these things so much more than we do deer, so much more than we do lobster, so much more than we do sharks for like the Japanese do for shark fin soup. It's like we dwarf all other consumption with those. And we're not as long as we have commercial and privatized breeding and people making a profit and just making a profit makes it sound really capitalistic. Like let's put it in bare terms. People can just make their life better through products and services, like by concentrating on their herd and selling it and getting a better price. It's the last thing we're going to run short on. But now the second you take it out of that realm out of that realm of trading openly and making us pretty much where you can breed them and make them as our commercial cattle on our ranch, I bet you all cows from history are very jealous of them if they had to compare lifestyles. They got better grass. They get best medicines given to them to prevent from uh, parasites, uh, COVID, mad cow COVID disease, uh, all of it. Uh, you know, they, they're protected from most predators. They don't get black leg. If their mom dies, we do our best to hook them up with a better mom. We help the moms give birth to calves, all of it. And we do all that. Like that cow has a much better life in part because it's nicer for the cow. But if I'm being mo- mostly because it enhances our profit to give them less stress and it just gets us more stuff. So... Apply that same, how are, how are crabs, how are the crabs damn lobsters down in the Keys any different? Why can't we privatize and figure out a way to breed them and encourage their numbers to get even more? But it seems like almost everything that gets put on the endangered species list just ends up shriveling down more and more. But as soon as you commercialize it, it explodes just due to market factors. Uh... And it's really this like neat solution that's like, a, it, it's weird. It's so chaotic, but it still works. Uh, and yeah, so practically it can work on that level. But let's also flip it the other way around. Let's say poultry, chicken, and beef was treated the same as like, Stone crabs are today, or not stone crabs. I know what Merce is in the Florida Keys. You have to have like a, a armband for every lobster you harvest, or something like that. Uh, short season, mini season. Yeah, there's seasons and all that. And let's say, let's just apply it. Like, what if there was only a certain time of year you could harvest beef? You had to harvest it from this public pool on public land, or you had to know a guy with private land to get in on it. No, especially uh, it was having feedlots already. Yeah, uh, but like. Think about how bad the poaching problem would be 
for not just deer, but for beef, but for like, just, just put those industries in the same kind of market that like hunting is today. And oh, like it would be insanity. Like compared to that. So like here, here's the like conundrum, like the kind of the paradox that it is. The anarchy of the market brings so much more natural order than the chaos of government. The chaos of government puts this like weird, uh, people think that like, given what we currently now know, even putting aside special interests, that we can put a box around this problem and as long as our solution is, like we pretend our current solution will fix this problem, that has so many different variables, that it'll work. But the problem is we never account for all the variables. And that box that is glocked on that problem just exacerbates that problem in an unforeseen way. And like, here's the thing. You know, sadly, like whole groups of animals have gone extinct before any government ever existed. I'm not saying like government is the reason animals go extinct. Actually, if you look at the numbers, most animals that have ever existed have gone extinct, like just by the number of like, uh, and mankind's responsible. Penn and Teller had a really good episode of bullshit on this. Turns out like they crunched the numbers and of all the species we're aware of that have ever gone extinct, mankind was responsible for like 2%. Or it's like they could directly tie, maybe it was like 0.2%. It was like they, like they named like the dodo, uh, a couple of like different fish and, and geckos and stuff. And, and there's some substantial things in there, but like, yeah, like compared to all the dinosaurs, compared to all the, uh, what do they call them? Little horseshoe crabs that existed before dinosaurs always. Troglodytes. Did I get that right? I'm Trilobite. Ah, I was really close. I was going to be really impressed with myself, but no, not I'm forsaken. Uh, but yeah, there's just, and also on my final conclusion on that, if it's my property that I've worked for, that I've bought, and I have my deer on it, and you, I, people argue the point, well, like that deer can jump on other people's property. Like, true. When it's on my property, it is my property. Like the same as, as I, I guess, seeds can blow from the wind, just natural events can blow on anybody's property, and a tree can grow from it. But if that tree's growing on my property, that's my tree. <laughs> but... Uh, I know some I know some friendly game wardens that I really like, but please stop giving us tickets for just trying to feed ourselves. Okay. All right. I gotta have my very unusual take on the most popular meme of 2022 so far. And that is Will Smith going crazy and slapping the hell out of Chris Rock. Oh uh, now, like I assume everybody listening, I haven't watched the Oscars or any of those things. Since like high school, and I'm thirty something now, uh, and yeah, no, I, I don't care. And but this thing came up, and I, I tell you, still a whole lot of not caring about it. But I am talking about it, so of course there's some point I care about. And what that is, is a video I came across the other day that blew my mind, and it was Will Smith back in like 1992 or 93. And you can look this up. It's him and Barbara Walters from 60 Minutes. I think I got that right. And she is asking him 
if he believes the government created the AIDS virus and put it into the uh, uh, gay and black community, Will Smith, like, straightens his posture, straightens that back up, collects himself, and is like, uh, ma'am, I believe there's a high possibility that the HIV strain was created through some means of chemical or biological warfare, that perhaps there's a greater chance that the U.S. released it on purpose or accident. And he or says, something. they'll chase me for this. Uh, yeah, yeah, and he's, he, yeah, he's like, I, I really got to watch how I say this or whatever. And like, here's the thing. I don't know if I believe that. Like, I'd have to see some really incredible evidence of them doing it. But I mean, eh, you know, Tuskegee. So it's not, it's not out of the question. Uh, but he, he went from that to someone made a joke about his wife and he's slapping her or slapping him uh, and losing his mind. And like, it's not the only thing he's lost his mind about. Like all of us that grew up with him being, being just the cool rapper guy that doesn't cuss and the fresh Prince. We've, we've seen this guy transform from quite literally like the coolest guy in the world to quite literally the uncoolest guy in the world. I'm sorry. But if I had to tie it to one thing, one thing alone, it is definitely government satellites intercepting his brainwaves. No, no, I'm kidding. I just, I, I had to Alex Jones it up a little bit. No, it's the crazy woman he's married to. Uh, and I see so many, we all know these people that, got, now, like there's people that get married young and it works out and they're like shining beacons of light on how to do marriage right. Uh, ups and downs, they keep it together. But we all see this other group of people who are like psychopaths that are married together that just become more psychopathic due to the psychopathic control of the other one. And good Lord, when you when you see him laugh at first, and listen, I g- give him some credit, maybe he didn't fully understand the joke. And he was just laughing just because the crowd was laughing. I'm sure I've done that a time or two. Uh, but man, I, I think if you're going to pull any lesson from the Will Smith, Chris Rock, Slapagranza uh, saga, just don't let a woman or man run your damn life like that. Good Lord, have some independence and some, like, I, I don't know. Have some identity unto yourself and try to get with someone that just compliments it or goes along with it, not try to change into poor old Will Smith. So we're going to uh, we're going to do one little thing different tonight. I had to share this with my producer, Merce. And uh, let me tell you something. When you hear that Foo Fighter song, There Goes My Hero, it's this man right here. He's falling on hard times. He's got a hard job. And he's taking advantage of the market and his situation and putting his unique skills to work. Uh, he's a British construction worker, a portly lad. I'd, I'd say he's definitely over, over 250 uh, pounds. And uh, let's, let's see what he does. I'm showing this to Merce, my producer, for the first time. I'm Ali, and I'm the beefy builder. Yeah, I earn in excess of 20,000 pounds a month. That is like direct. 
Do you shoot yourself? Oh, just wait. I'll take the top off if you want again. Uh, to be honest, though, it only took a few months for it to really sort of blow up. It began with me sort of taking photos of like my underwear, sweaty socks, and then I kind of got a little bit more sexy. Uh, no, I love that guy. Off, obviously, <laughs> and uh, went from there. Keep, keep liking, keep subscribing. That's what I need. All right. That's what we're trying to do. Making footbread. Did you say footbread? Footbread. Alright, so just if you if if you haven't heard everything that's going I, through I hope this is a parody of like what most women do, but is he really This is a real thing. No. This is a real thing. So what it what this guy is doing is I mean, hats off to him. He's a construction worker who's on OnlyFans and really weird people on the internet started paying him for not only his pictures of him working in the construction yard without a shirt and stuff like that, but like the sweat from his shirt. And right now he's making foot bread where he stuffs a slice of bread well, in his boot. eat like bread out of a can too. True, that's not that big of a stretch for the. Okay, I see how it works in their culture. <laughs> the world is a curious, bizarre, and intriguing place, and everyone has that thing that they like or want to see. British. So it's no surprise yeah. that Alistair would get asked to do a variety of unusual things. Uh, <laughs> I didn't make it this far. I didn't make it this far. Fifty quid? You shit in a bottle! I wonder what that is in real money. <laughs> enough money now to actually take a step back from construction. The Chumbalees, I don't feel like I can. You know, all my fans are here because I'm in construction and I feel like if I, if I do step back, they're going to drop off. Dude, he's doing construction as part of his passion now. Dude, he just sniffed his underwear. arms like all these feminists are. <laughs> no, it's... <laughs> oh, my favorite thing about the, uh, the news... Uh, have you seen the news anchor where he talks uh, to the feminists? No. What's it called? It's, uh... It's some British... Some British news anchor who's, like, going back and forth to a feminist and the news anchor is like, he's like, you know, it's fine. He's like, does it? It's like sticks and stones may hurt my bones. It doesn't matter. It's like, but you can always find something to offend a feminist. Absolutely. And then, and she just starts 
screaming and cackling in the background. And she's like, no, you've got to give me a right to defend this. And like, you're literally proving his point. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you're reeking, you're reeking, at that, his, yeah. Uh, anyways, I hope y'all fellas enjoyed that. Uh, that'll do it for me tonight, folks. Y'all enjoy it. Have a good one. And hopefully I'll be catching y'all next week. Thank you for listening to the Bandit Radio Hour.